listening to This Thing We Call Art, a podcast about how it's such a mess. We're like so chaotic and we're just like pulling it together and we literally don't know what we're doing. We're just like learning it by doing and making mistakes and that means you can too. I'm your host, Kelly Lloyd, a visual artist, essayist, and educator currently based in the UK. I've been interviewing people in the arts about their livelihood since 2017 and today you're going to hear a conversation I had on the 1st of November 2022 with 12 Collective's Eva Dwerden and Lou McNamara. 12 was a collective motivated by interesting processes rather than shiny exhibitions. We created projects that exploited the gaps in our knowledge and our eagerness to learn. We strove to create a program that promoted, challenged, and encouraged artistic practice in all its manifestations rather than scoring points for the CV. For us to do this, it was paramount that we had a flexible, open, and supportive approach catering to artist development and their individual needs. Eva is a third of the group formerly known as 12O. They are a quasi-artist designer in Berlin, but still make works that prod their definitions of aspiration, cheating, through bootleg Kopfino props. Lou McNamara is a London-based cinematographer, camera operator, and technician across a range of projects. Their recent cinematography credits include Passing Through, 2023, a short film for Transmedia Watch, the Miracle on George Green, 2022, an artist film by Onyeka Igwe, and Collis Cryptic, 2022, a documentary behind the scenes of the Barbican Theater. Lou has also co-directed investigative documentary Kini Mini, 2020, for Declassified, an artist moving image hybrid project, It's Personal, 2021, commissioned by Film Video Umbrella. I met Lou at a Keep It Complex conference in 2019 and then Eva at a 12-0 meeting shortly thereafter at a Weatherspoon somewhere in central London. I spoke with Eva and Lou over Zoom while we were each in our homes. The audio quality for the season is varied, so remember that the transcripts for all these conversations are available on the project's website, thisthingwecallart.com. Our conversation was two and a half hours long, and while I wish I could share it with you in its entirety, today you'll listen to excerpts from it. I'm going to drop you about eight minutes in. I feel like it, the vast majority of the projects, like each individual project, all happened in like 2016. Like when I actually looked back at the back, they all happened between like June and like September, like October of 2016. It's wild because in my head, that's a lot more spread out. We just like spun around frantically for like five or six months and then like actually turned out so many like projects. But then like we also just learned how to do and wanted to do more like sustained longer term projects involved like a lot more partners and collaboration and time. Didn't we do, we did like three projects a year and then I think we did the maths once. We were like three projects is like the most realistic amount we can do while also having jobs and yeah. lives. And it was like, okay, well, once 30, 30. And then at one time it was the curation residency. And then we're like, okay, we get to pick one other thing. And I can't remember. I feel like that was filled with something else as well. And that will end up being back end maybe. But that was like 20, 2018, maybe where we started realizing that. 2016, it was just a period where they were like small things. You wouldn't even remember them as a project, but we did like, we wanted to do a monthly event called First, like first Thursdays with. Oh my God. So we did something every single month for that for like three months running on top of doing like, I don't know, Norky and a curation residency. And like, that's what I mean by we were like spinning. Like we were doing more than one event a month. <laughs> there was a period where we were like doing the podcast with Caitlin for curation residency and doing like a full Art Licks Weekend moving sculpture park. 
at the same time and then like a live event as part of our next weekend for the podcast why did we do this like no one was asking us to do this no no nobody it wasn't like this like great appetite people were like give us more (laughs) projects we need more projects they were just like thanks for 30 30 see ya and we were like no we could do two at the same time (laughs) why I mean that's why did you do it was 2016 really just kind of like a year where you're like this is a make or break year or what was even happening in 2016 maybe 2016 was like the year that we were like we want to do all these things and we were really excited about all these projects and it wasn't any way of like smushing them together it was like they were all very much individual things and then I think we were just being young and unrealistic probably and also like quantity over quality like we were just doing things that didn't take that much time and they did take time they felt really big and difficult at the time but they're much easier to execute than like anything we did later and then what happened in 2017? Did you have like a conversation that was like, we need to stop doing this? And then also, is that like around when you stopped using your house as like a event and exhibition space? No, I think I think the end of 2017, looking at our CV, is the, I think at the end of 2017, maybe, maybe we decided we were no longer going to use the house as a project space. But 2017 was really busy too, because that was, and that was Norky, which was with, um, oh God, how many spaces? One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, nine spaces and like 50 artists. It was, I can't remember. It was like a ridiculous amount of artists. And we didn't even go to most of it. We like drove around delivering posters to everyone. Then we had Amplonet. We had Wednesday night live <laughs> and and then that's when we were sort of like in the full swing of um, group show podcast with Caitlin. So 2017 was still busy and that's not including 3030. So that was still, I would say 2017 was still a really busy year. I think the difference between 2017 and 2016 is there's a couple of the projects in 2016 we were asked to do. So like going to New York, we were asked to do the residency with Embassy Gallery and the the sort of residency with the Royal Standard and Muesli. So these were things that people had asked us to do as opposed to us curating off our own initiative, I think, and us responding to it. In 2017, for some reason, we decided to match that. I think 2017, we just, that's our first Arts Council funding. So like... We were also suddenly, we'd applied for that and then we're able to pay people and like have some budget for the projects. So I think we applied for like, I don't know, nine or 10 grand and we split it across like so many projects and so much stuff that it like, now it seems like silly, tiny amounts. I don't think we paid ourselves like. I think we got paid. I think we got like a nominal fee at the end. Oh my God, no, we did. I feel like we got like 190 pounds. I feel like it was a really specific amount. And I was like, oh my God, this is so exciting. <laughs> and like now in hindsight, like, that I think we worked it out. It was like 0.02p an hour or something. Yeah. We worked that out. We'd applied for Arts Council with 2016 as a kind of reference so we've been like look we can do like seven things and it's totally fine 
and then promised we'd do that again, but with money this time. So I think that's why 2017 was so busy because we felt like, well, we did all that with no money. Now we have to sort of, yeah, give Arts Council the same bang for their buck kind of thing, um, which is ridiculous. But yeah, I think that's why we felt we needed to sort of match it. But I also don't think it was that stressful to do all this stuff because like we, okay, so we'd go to New York and be away, like be there and be doing the thing. But like the amount of planning that took is actually like a couple of days of like emailing three artists, making sure we got our visas and booking our flights. But we maybe. Yeah, yeah, totally. But like, I mean, in comparison to like the projects we do now, there's so much more that goes into before the event day or like the public bit where it's like fresh and frozen only the first Thursdays. Like they did take planning, but we did most of that planning for everything within like, a day. and we met weekly for a day and we'd just sit there and like work through everything. Yeah, I, I know what you mean. When on paper, it doesn't seem like it's stressful, but I think it's the fact that we were all working full time minimum probably trying to do our own practices around that too and these were all overlapping it wasn't like okay let's sit down and like we're gonna do this project we've got like two to three months it was like no this is two to three months and we're already trying to finish this podcast with Caitlin and I remember there was a period where we all sort of like divided our kind of responsibilities but then that caused problems I think because we'd all be like fighting for for time in our meetings we'd be like no we really need to talk about this yeah, because I think it, was, it wasn't it was so much that each thing took so much time. It's just that we were all probably really tired and they overlapped. So it was the hindsight. It was that like knowing that even though Norky is in three months, okay, that's ages away. It's like, how long is it going to take for, the, for people to get back to us and for them to make their work? And that was, I think that was like the learning then of being like, what is like, a good amount of time to actually care for the artists that you're working for with and the organizations to be accommodate for them to actually make the work. So yeah, okay, it was only a day of emailing, but time management was the issue, maybe. Maybe before we get any further, do you want to introduce yourselves? Yeah, sorry, we just started talking about our calendar. You didn't actually ask us <laughs> the question. We're like, let's pull up the CV. I just have October 2016 open in my calendar and it's well because it's only 12 hour stuff. I had no other life, I guess. Or I just didn't use digital calendar, I think. Anyway, sorry. Eva, introduce yourself. So I'm Eva. Um, I'm an artist and a designer, I think. And I'm currently living in Berlin. I am a third of the group formerly known as 12 hour. I'm Lou McNamara. I work as a camera person and camera technician. I sometimes make artist film and documentary. I like to do cinematography and shoot other people's films. And I am one third of the collective formerly known as Pravo. Cool. They already know who I am. Um, also, I am the, the remaining third of the collective formerly known as 12 though. I don't know if that's the right way to say it. Isn't no. it? it makes it sound like the collective is still ongoing. <laughs> exactly. It's changed its name, but won't tell you its new name. 
It's well, that it's like an illegal dispute, like Prince, over <laughs> the ownership of it. That's why I wanted to say formally known as. I am allegedly one third of Twelvo Collective. Of the former collective Twelvo. The now deceased. Um, <laughs> I was one third of Twelvo Collective. Ah, but Twelvo, okay, so Twelvo in some respects is dead, right? Yeah. We are a group of three friends that tend to meet together as the trio, which was also the f- group formerly known as 12 So it is the group formerly known as 12 because we are still this group of friends. Like, so we just don't go under the name of 12 anymore. I would argue that 12 always got in the way of our friendship. And actually we would hang out and spend the first few hours of whatever time we did spend together just talking and then the like last third of whatever time we had together we would do 12 so I would argue that 12 facilitated our friendship I mean obviously I wouldn't know either of you had I not like been a part of 12 and then also I don't know I mean especially during the pandemic right like I spoke to you both more often than I spoke to basically anybody yeah and when we met up during the pandemic we weren't doing 12 stuff I was trying to think of like actual times we've hung out as a three outside of 12 or like when you moved your stuff to my dad's house that was like outside of 12 whereas the rest of the time it's like that kind of like we've institutionalized our friendship we're friends because like I'm not I wasn't friends with Eva before 12 either like as in we were acquaintances but we became friends through 12 yeah that's and true. same with us and you Kelly so like then there's like those points where either 12 gets in the way of the friendship is either putting it or like also our friendship gets in the way of 12 all the time like we're trying to have a meeting and we spend an hour and a half out of an hour and 45 minute meeting catching up because we're friends and not doing 12 stuff it's a very blurry line yeah what was 12 collective so 12 changed i think i think it was intrinsic to 12 that it always developed with what we wanted it to do so it was never just like fixed on one thing so we used to do exhibitions and then we were like that's out other people do better exhibitions not interested in doing that doesn't mean that they're not valid it was just not the thing that we felt was the thing that was missing i think 12 start the idea of 12 starting was providing something that we wish we could see happening already particularly for graduates. And then when we were no longer graduates, we were like, what would we wish we saw for um, young or emerging DIY art spaces or um, collectives? And so then we were like doing backend and 33 was still relevant. So I think it was maybe quite selfishly always something that we wished somebody else was already doing. And I remember us sitting down at one point, like fairly early on and going like, we shouldn't do it if we're not interested in it. It's not fun. Like we shouldn't feel like we have to create an institution. This was when we were still doing more exhibition-y things or type kind of like event vigil projects. And, but we'd realized then that we didn't want to do this as like a career move to become a gallery or become gallerists or curators at that point. I think we all tried that though. Yeah. But we realized that wasn't our like goal for 12 No. Because there were, when we started out, there were a lot of similar scale organizations, like our kind of peer network who 
seem to be doing that kind of thing where it was like either to build a platform for themselves as curators gallerists or show their own work or their friends work in order to platform themselves as artists we knew we weren't doing that but we weren't quite sure what we were doing apart from things that we felt we wanted to see but we didn't have like a clear strategy who's we and us so beginning we and us is chloe miller jeff o'loughlin jacob whatmore and me and then by 2016 is that right Lou? yeah i joined in april 2016 and by that point it was just you and jacob yeah and then jacob left in 2018 i think 2019 2019 yeah uh-huh okay so then it jacob left and Kelly joined soon after. And then it was us three, four, 2019 to 2022. How did the original four people meet? The four original people of 12O, Chloe, Jeff, Jacob, Eva, all lived at a place that the name of the address informed the name 12O. And we all knew each other from Central St. Martins. And we all kind of graduated around the same sort of time. I think Jacob graduated the year after, but me, Jeff, Jacob all studied fine arts sculpture and Chloe studied textile design. And that's how we all knew each other. And then Lou, we met, we knew at CSM too. And then Kelly and Lou met at a workshop. It was a conference. Yeah, it was, what is it, the Keep It Complex conference? Yeah. And you were talking about back end. And then I was like, ooh, that's so interesting. And then my mouth is full of cheese. <laughs> and then I walked up to you while your mouth was full of cheese to be like, hi, I want to talk or let's talk more about stuff. And you, um, Eva and Jacob from Central St. Martins and Jeff. I showed like closest with Jeff. He was the only person I knew really, really well. But then Jeff left the collective. I got to know um, Jacob because I was working at the bar at Central St. Martins with them and all the colleagues. And um, Jacob would tell me about 12 hours projects. And so over that kind of period, I would be like, oh, you should really apply for funding because I was working at a small gallery where I was learning how to write Arts Council project grant applications. And so Jacob kind of introduced me into 12O from that. You also mentioned something in terms of like 12O's projects always having like a gimmick to them. And Sophie Chapman posted a response to our breakup video, something like did more work for artists than many NPOs um, and did it with a lol. Like, and then, you know, when I got there, it seemed like the aesthetics uh, of, you know, like kind of pastel website, like super low, low pixel bunny, you know, like we're already pretty set, like this kind of sense of play, um, you know, and the sense of like what you were saying, Eva, in terms of like the things that you want to see, the things that you want to participate in being a directive for 12 projects is yeah 
fun and play and gimmicks and pastels? Is that a part of 12 Is that 12 Gimmicks, pastels, and lols. Uh, I feel like, hmm, I don't know. I feel like I'm, I'm speaking on behalf of four people in the beginning, but I think the beginning of 12 was sort of uh, feeling this kind of disillusion or demoralized feeling about what we were presented with, particularly at CSM, as like role models, right? So there was like Auto Italia and Arcadia Missa, which just seemed like really unattainable goals because they had, they'd been established for a really long time and they'd set them up in a different time and under different circumstances. And it always just felt a bit like, yeah, unattainable. Not that necessarily that's what we wanted, but there was no other kind of, this is how you can work in the arts under your own sort of terms. So I guess it was all sort of gimmicky and silly because we just found, we were like, it is kind of a bit of a joke. Like, it just felt, I'm trying to like put myself in like that place. It, I, yeah, I think it was as soon as we started doing the projects, we realized there was this sort of like ego around it and a lot of people would be maybe like impressed or it's sort of this illusion, right? Like kind of like Instagram, it's like, it seems like this glossy thing. And we were like, no, it's such a mess. We're like so chaotic and we're just like pulling it together and we literally don't know what we're doing. We're just like learning by doing and making mistakes. And that means you can too. So I think, yeah, the gimmicky silliness of it was partly to make us feel better, but also just being, I guess, sort of realistic and not trying to sort of posture ourselves as being, you know, these really slick curators. We were like, we're just people that like these projects and they won't always be as shiny as possible, but hopefully we'll do it better next time and look after people while we do it. I remember as well, one of the ways that we spoke about the, the like kind of gimmick sounds maybe like, um, like a kind of negative way of putting it, I guess, but like the kind of like conceit maybe of like these projects is that each of them had like a conceit to be a framework. And we thought that was an interesting way to curate and to make work artwork because a lot of the stuff we saw by artist-led organizations kind of yeah, look like these kind of mimicking of like serious gallery shows with white walls and people put their pictures up on the walls and people came and had drinks at a private view and um, everybody kind of carried on doing the work they were already making and putting it up on the walls. And we liked the idea of creating a framework, sometimes based around an artist we knew we wanted to invite to do it. We thought it'd be a fun framework for them, might be like a starting point or a framework that just, you know, somebody spurt it out and we were like, okay, cool, let's run with that. And then we could go to those artists and invite them and say, okay, well, we've got this really specific framework for you. Do you want to do that? Do you want to respond to it? And we thought that was like an interesting way for people to get challenged to make new mm. work and also to have kind of group shows in a sense, like shows where it was more than one artist at least, where they made sense together, not just because they were hanging in the same room um, or because of some kind of slightly like forced theme to bring together works under a theme but they were like made specifically for a framework so like there were so many projects like that like did you pack this bag yourself was like 
the framework was making it to fit in the hand luggage and to be able to travel in the hand luggage. Like fresh and frozen was to make stuff that was deliverable, uh, either like on demand, fresh or prepackaged, frozen, <laughs> deliverable artwork. Like Norkey had like a really specific time limit that was kind of putting a turning that over from artists to turning it to curators and going to organizations saying, we want you to curate within this specific framework and this time frame, and you can choose the artists for that. So we don't choose the artists anymore. And we maybe meet and work with more artists um, that way and artists we haven't come across before, but like the, there's still this like overarching framework to it. What was, um, what was the sculpture park one called? Oh, on plein air. And we thought it was so funny. I thought that was, I still think, I still think it's funny. But I can, <laughs> just like listening to you describe more now, I feel like it makes me feel about like quite like angsty, like angsty, like teenagers that like left art school and were like, I don't know, I'm like just putting myself in the mindset of like, did you pack this yourself, right? Because we were like, oh my God, we're going to go to the New York. Ha, lol, what? We've been asked to go to New York. That's hilarious. How the hell are we going to get artwork there? And it was like, you know, the proper way to do it, the proper way to like handle someone's artwork is to have it crated and have it shipped with art handlers and, you know, for it to arrive at the location. We were like, we don't have that money. So we're going to have to take out our hand luggage. And probably a lot of people are going to have to do this too. And like, why don't we just be like honest about that rather than people being like, oh my God, you had a show in New York. That is amazing. You're like, yeah, you know, did it properly and professionally. It's like, no, this is probably the reality of it. So why not like be really honest about it? And same with En Plan Air. It was like, let's have a sculpture park. Oh, but we've got to put it in a van at the end of the day. And we'll be back here at 8 a.m. tomorrow morning to set it up. No one will know that we took it down. It moved to different parks each day. The sculpture park popped up in a different park yeah, in London. Like, yeah. <laughs> but also Fresh and Frozen too, because I'm now thinking about it. It was like thinking about how we like digested art through Instagram, particularly through like Freeze Week, right? Because art looks coincide with Freeze Week or just before. And it was like, you know, this thing, you digest this artwork, you don't even look at it for a second. You're just like, cool, yeah, nice. And it was like, what else is that? easily consumable and this sort of is it better that you get it forever and it arrives at your doorstep I don't know so they were all sort of kind of I don't know it seems a little bit too much to say it was satirical but like it felt funny it felt like we were making I don't know whether we were the joke or the art world was the joke I don't know and at the same time, I think Sophie is right, like, or at least we like to think that that gave the artists involved like an opportunity as well as us an opportunity to experiment and learn new skills. Because every time we did a project, we helped out on everything. So we learned like a whole new raft of skills ourselves as artists and practitioners and curators. And the idea was it gave space for each of those artists to experiment and try something they wouldn't have otherwise done, work in a collaboration with someone they might not have otherwise done. Um, yeah, and like, hopefully that's what I guess Sophie means about like artists getting out something out of twelve o. We broke up. Why did we break up? Why did we break up? Yeah, why did we break up? <laughs> should we get back together? <laughs> should we get the band? Back? In ten years, we should get the band back together and go on tour because we're like, 
a tour of what though? I don't know, but you know, like how the Spice Girls and everybody like get back together ten years later because they're like out of money after they've like sold all the names and the rights to songs. They're like, yeah. just kidding, we have no money. Why did we break up? Why did we break up? I think, <laughs> but I might be wrong. Um, but I think that probably lots of different reasons. Um, but that we were like, kind of, we weren't in sync in the same way as we were like a couple of years ago of like being on the same kind of wave of how we work. So um, part of that is living in different places makes like meaning we can't all meet up in one place, but even when we meet up in one place, like it's like we're, we're no longer in the same kind of like groove of like, it's like we're pulling in different directions maybe um in terms of how we work and um so we still want to achieve the same thing but we just are like methods or like our style of schedule and stuff is different so like scheduling between the three of us became like nigh on impossible like hard like it's always hard to schedule with anybody all the busy people but like it's definitely hard to schedule a 12-hour meeting as anything else that I do so I guess we just have like really conflicting schedules and live in different places and like maybe have different levels of engagement with like the visual arts and caring about artists as a priority in that I don't care about artists very much. I take. I think because for me anyway, um 12o was always like a vehicle for me to uh work with other people that I really enjoyed and found really interesting and have really interesting conversations and I feel like I still have those things I think the thing that is missing for me is that it was a vehicle for me to learn new skills and an environment and with people that were also excited about learning things. And I feel like the things I wanted to learn no longer fit into the sort of remit of 12.0. Like we could have shoehorned it, but it would have been then like not applicable to either of you, you know? So it was sort of, I think, uh, different practices in the expanded term just didn't align in the same way even though I still find these conversations we have in 12 or had in 12 and I have with other people really interesting, like when I get annoyed about um, not naming any names, but like people that are curating and I hear about how they're curating and how they're treating their artists. And I'm like, oh my God, this is so frustrating. Why are they not giving you any notice on how you get paid or... Um, how you're going to hang your work in an exhibition and literally like meeting with you two days before, like things like this. So I still find these practices really interesting, but I don't want to do it anymore. (laughs) I think also something that came up in our conversations was this agreement that you both had made with one another, maybe with Jacob, I don't know, years ago, where you were just kind of like, if this is no longer serving us or if this is like no longer working then we're not going to push it yeah 
And I don't know if you could kind of rearticulate that in the words that were actually yours, but I just thought that was quite interesting in terms of like a way that you had already set out, like when, when you knew something, when you knew it was going to be over. Hmm. I think we said if we're no longer having fun with it, then we shouldn't continue doing it. But then also, um, I think when I was like trying to, when I was working in arts organizations and galleries and frustrated with the ways of working there, 12 gave me an opportunity to do something different and model that differently. And I think at least for me, I, I either want to do stuff because it's like I'm really interested in it and really passionate, in it, like nerding out about cameras, um, or because it gives me a sense of purpose. And I think the sense of purpose comes from like a selfish point of view. Ultimately, when I'm like carving out time for other people, is because it's something I care about and think is worth changing. So when I was really engaged in the art world, then that was something I really cared about changing more. And it's not that I like, it was a bit of a like, yeah, hot take when I said, I don't care about artists. I do care about artists. I think the art world like is very important. I care about lots of specific artists. I think it's just deprioritized for me, partly because I do a job that takes up so many of my hours, but also I think just like getting older and getting more precious about my time means that I have to be more like careful with what I pick to prioritize or be more considered about that. And where I want to prioritize my purpose is towards things that change the industry and environment that I'm operating in on a daily basis. Um, so I think that's probably like the reason for me. So I could see the value in the projects. I was like, this is really cool and this is really great and this runs really well. But I didn't have like that driving force to do it for myself anymore. It was like, in theory, I think it's great. <laughs> in our breakup, messages we said you know we are no longer working together so we can just be friends and also like our lives are moving in such you know different directions and you know it's just wondering if both of you could talk about these directions um maybe a good transition would be you know I wanted to ask you Lou about uh the camera trainee workshop that you run with Samara Adai so yeah, can you just tell me a bit about like what direction has your life moved in? Like what are the ways that you are, you know, working in your field to kind of make things better for, you know? Um, and yeah, so what what are what are you up to? What are you doing? So direction has taken a big shift from doing stuff with cameras and documentary and videography jobs on the side of working art galleries to that becoming my main job and figuring out how to um, how to make that my main job um, and main income uh, through being a camera assistant on um, like TV drama, features, music videos, commercials. And um, through moving into that world, then like recognizing how many barriers to entry there are and um, how undiverse and uninclusive it is in our department. So um, one of the things um, that me and one of um, one of my colleagues, Samara Dai, who's really amazing um, and had, we'd both been kind of trained to independently 
do our like small amount to change uh change that where we had hiring power or where we could support other people um and we've just formalized that into over this year running workshops um to and like a subsequent mentor scheme to uh get trainees who are from backgrounds that are underrepresented in the camera department into our department which again is like really selfishly motivated because that's the department i want to be working in in like three years time and not waiting 10 or 20 years time for that so i'm just trying to speed up the processes um where i have like power uh or like resources to be able to do that um and I think that's also a thing of getting older. I'm like, I don't want to wait. <laughs> I just, where I can make stuff happen, I want to make it happen. Um, and then also weirdly, I've transitioned from like being a kind of like arts organizer and curator into like becoming an artist again, slightly unexpectedly through like making films and documentaries. That's like slightly transitioned back into the art world through for me through a collaboration with an artist called Kyla Harris, who you both know and who's taken part in 12 projects. Um, but us trying to make reality TV together has like weirdly started intersecting with the art world again on another, another realm. Um, and like, I've been working on like artist films as their cinematographer, which is a really fun way to be in the art world still of like, I get to be a technical nerd person who makes things look pretty, um, on behalf of an artwork rather than having to like be in charge of the artwork or the artwork be my baby, which I really like that being somebody else's job um yeah I think that's that's like a summary of where I'm going or where I'm at <laughs> how about you Eva where am I at and where am I going I'm not sure huh. I feel like the like okay so I feel like maybe mine's like an unorthodox answer because maybe it's like more of a comment on like the way I choose to live as opposed to my practice and I don't want this to become like a boring like philosophical like manifesto but I feel like you know I lived in London for 10 years and it was great and it was sort of like kind of perfect in many respects um after 10 years of living in London I was like fuck it I'm gonna move to Berlin and have to start all over again and I think maybe that sort of um kind of gives a like background to sort of maybe what path I'm on to um of just sort of maybe trying to create my own problems um not because anyone should have any problems but like I guess just disturb my thinking maybe um or what I already know and yeah I said at the beginning that I'm an artist designer air quotes um which i feels a bit weird to describe myself as that hmm how will i talk about that hmm. i make objects i make i make strange little things in my room um that hopefully someone will wear one day um i don't really know how to talk about it to be honest can I ask you a question? Can you see yourself like using, cause I feel like as 12, I like amassed these like soft skills of um, organizing and planning and logistics and budgeting and care, even if we did a lot of them badly and like with a budget that's like 
barely adds up, but somehow did. Um, like, I, I guess both of you, I'm interested in like, do you see yourself using those skills in other contexts? After 3030 happened in 2020, um, you know, ArtQuest had offered us um, money to kind of do it again in May. And, you know, I needed the money <laughs> and it was in the middle of the pandemic. I also needed something to like do, you know, to like save myself. But then I think maybe it was Eva being like, no, like just because we can continue, this doesn't mean we should. Like, what is this adding to the project itself? Like, and also there's a reason why we do it only once a year. Like it is exhausting. And also like the hope is that other people, if they find it valuable, will like continue on their own paths using the things that they did and the structure and borrowing those things and being able to kind of like, they don't need us to continue to run this project for them, um, nor would it really add anything to the project, nor would it make our lives any better. Um, even though it would have made it better financially, but like, was it a point in which it was like an option? It wasn't something that we had to do, you know? And I think that's also like a learning lesson. I mean, as is us breaking up, right? Like, like sometimes things are over and sometimes things can be more what they are if you like leave them alone as opposed to just like pick at it until it dies, you know? Um, and so I think that's like a really valuable lesson. Like you don't always have to be the one like gripping the wheel <laughs> in order for really good things and good conversations to happen. Um, especially because if you were, then it would be really difficult for you. You like wouldn't be caring for yourself. And also it may not add to the project and also certainly would, wouldn't maybe add to people's ability to connect with the project. I don't know if this is like an, gonna sound like a old person looking back with hindsight type thing, but like, or like harumphing about the new age, but like, I do feel like there's a pressure for things, not just to be shiny, but to be like ongoing, like for there to be an endless feed of stuff. And I remember, really enjoying Caitlin's podcast proposal because I kind of been super interested in creating a podcast, but I hated the idea of the pressure that you'd have to like do it weekly forever and ever and otherwise or monthly forever and ever what it was. And if you don't do that, then it's a failure somehow. Then it's like something that's died in the past. And it was really nice to be like, oh, this is a proposal for a five episode thing. And then we ended up doing a sick live show episode, but it's like, you can do it and you can execute it. And then you can be like, okay, that's done now. That's fine. Like I can move on. Maybe there's something nice about filmmaking like that. Like you put in loads and loads of work on it, but then when it's done, people come to the screening and it's, and it's done and that's in your catalog of work now. You don't have to like have this like endless blog, like feed of something continuing. And it's nice. Like, I feel like talking to people about the 12 breakup, I'm like, it feels like the healthiest breakup. It's like, instead of like slowly simmering, until it just fizzles out because nobody it doesn't work anymore or something like we've figured it out talked about it and then it can still exist like it can still be valuable for what it is it's not a failure because it didn't continue forever and the same way as like a relationship isn't a failure if you don't get married and live together for the rest of your lives like you can have like, short and long relationships over your life that like teach you so much or like bring something to your life um and 
like they still have value even if they don't extend forever I don't know there's it's such a weird social thing that like there's this pressure for things not to be valuable if they don't continue yeah I I had a friend who I will not name who did say this um about 12.0 when I was like I don't want to do it anymore I think it may have been around the sort of time where I was like we shouldn't do 30.30 again or just after and the friend was like what you can't stop 12.0 and I was like why not and he was like you're just throwing your toys out the pram and you're you're throwing away something that you spent eight years doing and I was like and I just you know it was interesting at that time sort of and like yeah he made like valid points too but I was sort of like this is this is really interesting that it's like it's not valuable anymore if it stops you can't be like you say like it can't be like yeah it was good for the time that doesn't mean we should keep doing it like there's loads of things that were good at the time doesn't mean we keep doing it because it sort of kills it somehow it kills it more than ending it and being like it's done and it was good for what it was actually like drawing something out until it really does die is like worse I think yeah it's like it's um I think there's actually a word for it in um economics it's called like sunk cost theory so the idea is because you've already put loads of money or time into something even though it's irrational and it's unlikely to be successful you keep doing it because you've already put that amount into the endless pit and so it feels like if you stop then the money or time that you've already put in is wasted so you continue to waste more I'm not saying that the time is wasted but like that's people's attitude to it like you've put in eight years yeah like no but you had a good eight years (laughs) every year you add after that is now a waste yeah you didn't lose those eight years like yeah and it's nice that I think it is like yeah it will be like have some legacy and be remembered by people in different ways and for different things um and also that we can like hang out without having to do work that's so exciting yeah I feel like I've been quoting you Eva to everybody where it's like now we can enjoy our professional divorce together (laughs) um yeah I mean I feel like something that I'm quite conscious of is um just I feel like the world is full of a pile of like plonked art projects and like forgotten art spaces and you know I'm interested in archiving I'm interested in like archival work like documentation like what how can we make sure that people know that something existed um and I don't know why that is so important to me because like you said right like the people that participated will know that they existed and then they'll die and then you know time will move on um so like this kind of pressure to make it like bigger better more efficient more marketable like ongoing what does that do to kind of the nature of how we understand artist-led projects like small arts organizations and whether they've been successful or not um after they've ended everything ends I feel as though like 
when you were talking, like, yeah, what we're asking is sort of like, how do you measure success, right? You know, so if it's like legacy, but then it's sort of, I feel as though there's such a rigid idea of what what looks successful in the same way, like Lou was saying, you know, people are like, oh my God, it's ending, what? Or like, it's not bigger, it doesn't have a permanent space. And these are sort of all the things that we had a problem with the whole time we were doing 12.0. These were the things that we were trying to undermine the whole time, like that it wasn't a successful exhibition in New York just because we got all the works created. Like we could do a successful exhibition by putting everything in our hand luggage and being honest about it. And it would still be a valid show and the artist's work could still be cared for in a different way that was accessible and affordable. Yeah, I, I feel like I have a problem with the, the way that success is defined for these organizations because for me anyway, 12 hours like success is probably in ways that isn't written down, isn't documented, um, probably isn't properly, properly quotable, traceable. It'll be in like, you know, in the way that like we worked with Bella and then Bella works with somebody else. And like Bella probably doesn't even remember why she feels a certain way about one thing, but it's, you know, one of you said something when she wrote her application and therefore she said that to somebody else. And it's like, I feel like that is the sort of, that I'd say that's the success and it's not quantifiable. Yeah, that's why it doesn't feel like it goes on the defunct pile for me because it didn't ever have the intentions of trying to succeed by existing long enough to become institutionalized or be big enough and therefore we can't fail at that if that wasn't the intention in the first place even though other people might like misread it as that being your intention because they assume that's what arts organizations are doing and and the project's always changing like maybe as part of that as well like they're not being like longevity and repetitiveness and 30 being the only one where that happens and that then is continuing it's being taken on um and it kind of made me wonder like as well 12.0 never breached past being side hustle in terms of income. Like we did get to the stage where we paid ourselves on stuff. But like even say when you were talking about getting paid for another month of doing 30.30, like even though it was a very generous offer from ArcQuest, like we were still on budgets where it was like, it was like a nice to have in a pandemic or <laughs> uh, better than nothing. But it was never like, this could take over to be like a day a week job or two day a week job that you could slot in around, you know, another part-time job and then like make it very sustainable. And we never even had a conversation to try and do that, I guess. Like, I feel like we didn't consider it probably for those kind of reasons of not like it not being of interest, but if we'd really wanted to figure out how to become an MPO and turn it into an organization of the scale of ArtQuest or something, like we probably do have the connections to find advisors or people who could have like told us how you do that, you know, like we didn't even ask. So I guess we didn't want to, <laughs> but I'm wondering like in an alternate reality, what that would have looked like. I'm going to ask you the last question that I ask everybody. Did we talk about what you thought we would talk about? Uh, do you have any questions for me? Or do you have anything else that you'd just like to say? I want to ask, because I feel like you're in a weird position here of being the interviewer, but also part of the collective being interviewed. So I want to ask you, because I don't think you really got to answer why you think we broke up. And also 
if there's any other questions that you have an answer to that you don't feel like you that, that we answered that you didn't um like as your third of the collective formerly known as 12 hat on rather than interviewer hat on uh one third of the alleged collective formerly known as 12 <laughs> um why do i think we broke up yeah i mean like you know i think i really have a sense now when things are just too hard you know i care about all of this stuff and i really want to do all of this stuff but like if i did all of it it would be deeply unpleasant because this is actually impossible like is there any way that i can cut out half of this or is it more valuable just to be like no you know and so it felt that way about 120 where it was just like on its face it was becoming impossible um, it was like, we live in three different places we all three have jobs. Like we are going in different directions in terms of like where our creative lives live and what part they have in our lives in general. So I think it just kind of got to the point where it was like, it's just not going to work out. And it felt better just to call it. Like, I think I might've said to you, Lou, wasn't I like pick up a bottle of Prosecco at the like petrol station on the way? <laughs> I think we're going to break up tonight. <laughs> like, and then we had Prosecco for a breakup, you know, like that feels a lot better to me just to like call it, you know, obviously I'm very sad, but it's like, I'm very sad that we don't live in the same city. Like, I'm very sad that like, I don't get to talk to you as often you know, but all of those things were already true and had nothing to do with 12-0. And there are also things that I kind of can't really fix at the moment, but that doesn't mean they'll be true forever. Um, cute. Um, it's over, <laughs> this interview. <laughs> this was really nice. It was like an opportunity to, yeah, it feels really good to have an opportunity to discuss it all. Couples of It's like another framework, <laughs> you know? Epilogue. On the 5th of January, 2023, Eva Duerden wrote this to me. Since our conversation, I've been surviving a Berlin winter with rest, mundane joys, and learning to use an airbrush. On the 3rd of January, 2023, Lou McNamara wrote this to me. I've been continuing to shoot documentary, short films, and artist moving image projects alongside running a fourth round of camera trainee workshops with Samara Adai and Focus 24. You can find more information about 12O Collective and our work at our website, 12ocollective.com, about Eva Duerden and their work on Instagram at eva.duerden, and about Lou McNamara and their work at their website, lumacnamara.com. Links to what we spoke about today, as well as other interviews with people in the arts, are on the project's website, thisthingwithcallart.com. Beginning in April 2023, 3030 will be hosted and facilitated by ArtQuest, Participation will be free, and participants will also be able to access peer mentoring and network support. To find out when the registration for 30 Works 30 Days opens, subscribe to the ArtQuest email newsletter, which you can find on their website, artquest.org.uk, or follow them on Twitter at ArtQuest London. 
This podcast was funded by the Oxford Research Center in the Humanities. If you would like to help make the next season of this podcast a reality, please consider rating and reviewing this podcast on Apple Podcasts, becoming a Patreon member, or donating through the PayPal link on the project's website. The logo was designed by Eva Duerden, the episode artwork was created by Julia Razzi, and the theme song was made by Alessandra Moroni. This podcast was produced by me, your host, Kelly Lloyd. Thanks so much for listening, and tune in next week for my conversation with Gina Valentine.